0: How are we doing how is everybody I hope we are having a good day with only good vibes this is a pilot episode of my new podcast dear caucasians that can be found on spotify and the lobby observer website this is a show to talk about the struggles of the black people and to amplify the voices in our community because living in black america is an entirely different world <clears throat> In this episode, we're going to talk about the school system and just how is it different for black people to just go to school. This is brought to you with the help of Westboro High School's amazing tech team. And with that, let's get it popping. School. That's a place that can make you cry. School can make you popular. It can be the popular jock or... There are a lot of things you can be in school school you spend 12 years in your life k through 12 in high school middle school elementary kindergarten you spend a lot of time in school you know and after that you go to college you get your graduate and you can even get your phd if you want to torture yourself you know so you spend a lot of time in school and i um just random information the first public school was actually founded in 1635 and since then schools have taken a turn to be a measure of socioeconomic status which i will be discussing we just left Wait. we sought to have our own schools so the public system was created we wanted to have our own education these schools weren't for everybody because Back then, black people were slaves. We were being stolen and the transatlantic slave trade was still happening. That super cool, you know? And the Freedmen's Bureau, which only happened after the Civil War, was what started the school systems in the South. So until then, Schools have been segregated until 1954, where it was legally banned. But we know, ain't no pub, ain't no private school that's going to follow the legally banning of segregation. Black people still have to go through and jump through hoops just to find a good school system. So, oh, like, can... get some education. The Freedmen's Bureau read to the founding of many historically black colleges and universities, commonly known as HBCUs. So... We have to talk because the process of segregation in the nation intensifies due to the active enforcement of redlining, which only stopped in 1968. So think about it. If redlining, the process of where the bank stopped systematically denying black people from getting house loans stopped in 1968 and school segregation stopped in 1954. So, there was a time period there where black people did not leave, did not live in the same place where they went to school. So, this means that black people have been accepted into the school system for only 66 years. In spite of that, though, we have many scholars and scientists who have achieved many academic heights, but they haven't been discussed. I wonder why. The struggle for equal education for African Americans was long and hard but much progress has been made through the efforts of organizations such as the NAACP the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People colored people <laughs> and individuals like Oliver Brown who pushed for the fairness of the education school system which were legally desegregated, like I mentioned, in 1954 by the Supreme Court decision of Brown versus Board of Education. We won one. Wow. That's... (laughs) I didn't even know that. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Hold on. Why though? Why have we been going to school for 66 years and is it any different now? My answer is, it's different. But it's still the same, and here's why. I will describe redlining according to CBS News, which says it is described as when many banks in America denied mortgages to people, mostly people of color in urban areas, preventing them from buying a home in a certain neighborhood or getting a loan to renovate their house. The practice, once backed by the U.S. government, started in the 1930s and took place across the country. This does include many of the nation's cities, such as your favorite Atlanta, Chicago, Detroit, and Tampa, others with large minority populations. The systemic denial of various services to residents of specific, often racially associated nations or communities Either directly or through selective raising of prices is another description by NextGen Research that I actually like. So what does all this mean? All these big words, all this quoting, what does it mean? This means that the government was figuring out housing one time and said black people are not going to get houses. They started giving mortgages to white people, and these mortgages enabled them to buy houses with low interest rates and then slowly pay for them, you know, just like how mortgages works. So obviously, white people started moving out of the urban areas into the nice suburbs because most of them could now afford to buy houses, leaving a majority of black people and other minorities in the project housings and the urban areas that have systems... a lot of black people, like they have a lot of black people. Now, the catch was... With this mortgages that black people weren't given those loans in fact they were explicitly denied the loan till 1968 just because they were black see they could have good credit scores they could they could be fancy they could be from a nice family but no just because of the color of their skin they were denied the loans which makes you think a lot of things in america are like that you know like, I can just walk somewhere and not get a job. Why? Because I'm black, you know? It's it's really not that different, but oh well. Every black neighborhood, no matter the income level, is outlined in red, and they are called hazardous for house loans because they, the banks thought the areas that were redlined, hence the name redlining, red lines, they wouldn't pay the mortgage they wouldn't pay the monthly mortgage payments so they deemed them hazardous which means they have an increased rate of crime increased rate of trouncy increased rate of low education and low income which they caused you know so now i'm talking about housing so you can be like kyla what the heck does this have to do with the school system so here's my explanation The people who were pushed into the projects found it harder to move upward into a nice neighborhood since African-Americans only earn 60% of the income white people earn. Schools in America are mostly funded by property taxes, and the projects had very many people who didn't earn a lot of money, so naturally the property values went down. The taxes on the schools went down, so the schools did not have adequate funding. When schools don't have adequate funding, the quality of education obviously goes down. And I feel like this is like a ball chained reaction because the lower the quality of education, it leads to a uh, lack of appropriate class Healthy situations and learning environments are obviously decreased in quality, and this will naturally take an effect on the national test scores like the SATs lowering the rates of college acceptances from those high schools. Lack of adequate resources to succeed will make accessing higher college education both academically and financially difficult, which will lead to the low diversity of college. Which, by the way, most colleges in America have less than a 10% African American population. So, ponder on that if you're going to college anytime soon. So, we've talked about housing, now let's talk about finances. And in a study done by the Economic Policy Institute, in recent years, Latino and African American consumers with grid credit scores of 660 and higher have often ended up with higher interest rate mortgages, which are supposed to go to risky borrowers. So the higher the interest rate, the the more risky you are. The higher rate mortgages increase the likelihood of foreclosure. The higher the foreclosure rates of these groups, help explain why Latinos and Blacks have been such declines from wealth. Again, a ball chain reaction: they are redlined, and then they have higher interest rates. Higher interest rates means it's more expensive, and. If it's more expensive, they are likely to foreclose on the property, which means seize the property. And if they're likely to foreclose the property, it means people won't have property. So if they don't have property, they're not wealthy. Again, ball chain reaction. In the past, public schools were largely funded by local property taxes. Property rich and poor school districts differed because. You know some areas have nice houses and some areas just don't. So the property taxes like varied and so since the early 1970s however state legislatures have on their own initiative or behind the state courts implemented school finance equalization programs to reduce the disparities within state education spending so basically they gave schools money instead of just explicitly depending on the property taxes and nonetheless financial differences remain why race In addition, many non-financial measures of school quality and student outcomes still differ greatly across social and economic groups. Schools with higher concentrations of poor or minority students have larger incidents of school violence, more poorly maintained physical structures, more less experienced teachers and fewer AP courses and Internet connections, meaning they have really crappy schools. They don't have APs. They have school violence, just really crappy schools. So also. Dealing with wealth, I want to explain the wealth gap so that you know that you know, socioeconomic status is not just redlining in 2019. And this is from the federal government, so if anyone wants to like argue with that, you can like take it up with them. In 2018, survey white families have the highest level of both median and mean family wealth, and black and Hispanic families is less than 15% of white families. Less than 15% of white families. The distribution of wealth across families are also evident within race and ethnicity groups. For each of the four race and ethnicity groups, the mean is subsequently higher than the median. Okay, those are all fancy words. Just get the fact that white families have the highest level of both median and mean family wealth. And black families is less than 15% of what white people earn. So, all this goes to show that despite the efforts being made, the wealth gap and the social effects of the school system segregation are things that black people have to deal with just to get to school see we haven't even talked about what it's like being in school while black we've just talked about the social effects we've just talked about the finance and redlining and the desegregation of the school systems and we've talked about finance and all that is 14 minutes we have not talked about what it's like being in school and being black and being a person of color because i can assure you it's really different because you don't if you go to a primarily white institution you don't just walk into class and see everyone who looks like you you know if you don't see people who look like you who are you going to talk to i mean there's obviously interracial intermingling like that's an amazing thing because you know in the past black people weren't allowed to talk to white people yes that is something that actually happened but in this modern day and time you can have friends from all kinds of walks of life but you know you tend to have a special connection with people who look like you because you know they tend to experience the same things In most school systems, in most school systems that are good, school systems that will get you into a good college, those are primarily white institutions and you don't see a lot of black people in those institutions. The diversity rates in those schools are less than 10%, which is really pathetic because they claim to accept everyone from all walks of life, like no. If I can only if I can count the number of black people in my school on my two hands, that is not diverse. That is the opposite of di- that is not diverse. That is that is a grain of salt. That is that is lacking spice. It is lacking flavor. It is lacking. It's just lacking salt, you know? Like salt is just basic and we're lacking salt in our school system. So, you know, we need to add the salt. <clears throat> classroom environments tend to be different experiences because most teachers don't even look like you like i was saying they don't look like you they can't relate to you they can't they don't know how to talk to you and that is very awkward because if your teacher doesn't understand you they don't know how to teach you I mean, there's obviously the general teaching, but you know, there's an interpersonal connection between teacher-student relationships that if you if you're black and you go to a PWI, you don't get it. The racism in the school systems can also be demonstrated in what we like allowed to circulate in our school systems and how the black experience has been desensitized in our school system. Desensitized is. Like, you're sensitive to it, but, like, not. Okay. This is in our books. Uh, The racial slurs, the lack of diversity, in the historical figures we learn. And it's quite funny, I find it, that we only learn about Black historical figures on Black History Month, which is on February, the shortest month of the year. So we only learn about Black people in the shortest month of the year. I'm not saying that it's 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 just a racial matter that they chose February, but you know, you know, you just, just stop and think, like, why why February? Why not why not March? You know, why not why not a 31 day month of the year? You know, why February? And why do we only learn about Black historical figures on Black History Month. I mean, it kind of like makes sense, but why don't we learn about black people who are a crucial part of our social society and our economics, economics and finances? Why don't we learn about them every day, you know? We're constantly being taught about Confederate leaders and even presidents, presidents who had slaves. And as a person who takes bioethics, I don't think this is ethical you know if we are to change this system that we are living in as gen z as millennials as the people who are just like living in america if we are to change this then we need to stop advertising that we had presidents who had slaves because i don't know about you but i would find that pretty embarrassing like you you just say that oh yeah i've had 50 presidents and like i don't know like 10 of them had slaves that that, that kind of makes you look really bad. That makes America look really bad. And honestly, that is a very accurate description of what America looks like, honestly. <laughs> Allowing questionable historical figures to be in our books and our literature and our assignments makes it seem like it's okay to be a horrible person. But when you do at least one heroic thing, you get generations of praise. I mean, look at Thomas Jefferson. He had slaves. And slavery is not a pretty thing. It means that they were stolen, they were raped, they were tortured, and their lives were in the hands of Jefferson while they were being forced to work in cotton fields. No, it wasn't a vacation. They were whipped, they were killed, and they were forced to work on Jefferson's field while he was here writing about unalienable rights that he didn't give to the people working in his own frigging backyard. Confederate leaders increased their political powers so much so that they had the frigging audacity to say that slaves were only three-fifths. Three-fifths of a human being. Not five out of five. Three out of five. So we have been dehumanized enough to not be complete human beings. We're just three-fifths. You know, I feel like I should get a tattoo of that somewhere. Like, I'm only three-fifths of a person according to Confederate leaders. (laughs) I think that's pretty funny. Because we weren't even considered enough to be treated with a decency of humans. We were not even the scrap of humans. We were less than humans to them. (laughs) Because if they considered us humans, we'd have to claim our inalienable rights, which is life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Oh my god, I'm so patriotic. (laughs) Yet, despite these confederate leaders like Considering us three-fifths of a human, we still read about them. We still read about these disgusting, barbaric excuses of men in our history classes who made laws that trapped black people in prisons and cotton fields. And the English department is not being spared today. We read books that have racial slurs and have somehow been overlooked by the school curriculum board who apparently have people who are not doing their frigging job. I mean, if... Some books in the school system have the N word. Like you're clearly not doing your job. They're they're just like they're as bad as pornographic materials. Like they should not be in the school system. Point blank. Period. Black people's pain has been disregarded so much in our society that we we are reading books that have words that minimize them. That have words that enforce that three fifths of a human. The N-word is what I am talking about if you hadn't caught on. That word is in very many of our English books like To Kill a Mockingbird, um, Of Mice and Men, The Passing, and even The Great Gatsby. Those books are very problematic. So when I'm surrounded by Caucasians in my English class and the word comes up and the question of whether to verbalize a word is presented... I don't have to explain why the book is racist. You know, if you paid attention to the shifting systems in the world, you would understand why saying the N-word is very problematic. And I would just like to clear it up for anybody who was still not getting the gist of what I'm saying. Absolutely the fuck not. Can you say the N-word in any situation if you are not black? Like, point blank period. There's no two ways about it. Because black students have, have always been pressured to explain and like, and like describe and like make a thesis statement on, on why it's racist, or people should avoid using certain words. And I'm tired of it, you know? We don't owe you an explanation, our suffering, because if you paid attention, if you got out of your head and stopped being ignorant, you would understand that we are living in a white man's world. We are living in a world that was not built for us, a society that was built to make sure we were on the cotton fields. So words like the N-word constantly used in the books in our school system is another one of the things that i say going to school while being black exposes you to such uncomfortable experiences that our white counterparts do not have to go through you don't see you don't see white slurs they're not even they're not even white slurs but you don't see words that 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 would hurt white people in books Because the society is built for them. Our schools are built for white people. Because if it were up to our. not our. I ain't white. If it were up to the founders of this country, black people would never be in schools. I wouldn't be in school. And you know, even after the racist books and the financial burdens our parents have to bear just to get in school. We now have to deal with something called the school-prison pipeline. Yes, school-prison pipeline. It's it's not school-college. You're going from school to prison just because you're black. Another thing that we have to deal with. The practice of pushing kids out of school and toward the juvenile and criminal justice systems, which is fueled by the school's zero tolerance policies and the presence of police officers in schools the new york times on october 1st said that the common app just cited disproportionate discipline rates for black girls in its decision to stop asking students to report whether they had been subject to disciplinary action so this is only like relevant information if you're a senior the common app is now stopping ask that if you like the question that asks like have you ever had disciplinary action taken against you so a common app had the common sense pun intended to figure out that the discipline rates were disproportionate for black girls and they cited that in their reason which i think is pretty cool statistically i cannot pronounce that word for like half of my life but i cannot pronounce it statistically statistically black boys have led the country in suspensions expulsions and school arrest and their disparities between them and white boys have been a catalyst catalyst that's a very scientific word for national movements for change but black girls discipline rates are not far from behind from the black boys and in several categories such as suspension and law enforcement referrals The disparities between black and white girls eclipse those between black and white boys. Meaning to say, black people are obviously more likely to be punished for the same thing that the white students did more harshly. So, let's give an example. I'm black, obviously. If I, let's use the dress code, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. So if I wore something that was above my belly button, had cleavage, was like cut out, you know, it, it was just, it was, it was, it was, it was a violation, okay? And a white girl wore the same exact thing there is a higher chance that I will be dress coded and she wouldn't. That is statistically speaking. It it doesn't matter if I have boobs or not. No, it's statistically speaking. I have a three times more chance of being dress coded and she wouldn't be dress coded. Mind you, we're wearing the same exact thing. And the disproportionate discipline rates among girls indicate that researchers have said all throughout. Researchers have said this and the discipline rates are proving that it is not that black people misbehave more than their peers, but their behaviors have been judged more harshly. Now let's get into some federal data. Federal and civil rights investigations have found that generally black students are punished more harshly than their white peers for the same behavior. Black girls, in particular, are more likely to be punished for subjective infractions like, ooh, like the dress code violations I was just talking about and insubordination. So black people don't just get to come to school, have the same misbehaviors, have the same background experience as compared to white people. You know, all these things that happened, we're going to get judged more harshly. That means we're constantly living on edge. We're constantly analyzing, did I do this wrong? Did I say this wrong? Did I... Did I I offend anyone? And that's because one small thing and I might end up on the side of the road getting shot by some whack-ass police officer who has no absolute common sense, you know? And that's not me exaggerating. These are actual cases that have happened to black people. These are, these are things that happen outside this little Westboro bubble. These are things that happen in the real world that we might not be exposed to now, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about. Because we don't have that many black students in this school. That means the amount of pressure on them is greater. It's it's a lot you know and I'm not just speaking I'm just speaking from a factual point I'm not I've not even gone into mental health I've not even talked about code switching I've not talked about code I've not even talked about tokenism that's the word I was looking for because Little black kids are constantly being told to behave and have more pressure for perfection, just like I said, because one slip and I have a suspension and the suspension would be asked by Common App. And we all know, ain't no university that trying to get somebody who had a suspension because suspensions really look bad. See, all these facts I've given you are just to show you that this is not just some random emotional podcast that I'm pulling out of my ass. No, these are things, these are facts, these are situations that are happening to other people. And just because it's not you or just because you don't look the same as they do, you should be aware. And that's why I'm naming my podcast, Dear Caucasians, because this is like a letter, you know this is an extensive letter with with pretty vocabulary to educate you on what is happening around you on on how we are getting hurt and how we just don't need you striking in the streets because that is helpful to an extent. We need reforms in the school system. We need to get the books that use the slurs and the words and the depictions of slaves. We need to get those books out of our system. We need to stop unintentionally segregating ourselves. We need to have complete total integration. We need to stop making black families go through hoops just to get their kids into a school system we need reform in this system and that is why i am highlighting this because i feel like this was the perfect thing to talk about these are facts these are things that need to change because if we continue to subject the next generation of black kids to a school system that they have to read about slurs they their, their families have to go through numb and length social economic status has been defined they can't get into college if they don't live in some fancy neighborhood if we subject them to this then all the protests that happened during quarantine those are not going to be enough we need more and we demand for more and we 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 deserve more. We deserve the change that we are asking for. So with that very emotional ending, this has been today's episodes on the school system. And I hope you learned something from this. Please remember to follow all our social media at Caucasians on Instagram and Twitter for updates. And hella memes and TikToks because you know that's what I do. And I have been your one and only host, Kai. And you can check out my Instagram page. Have a beautiful day, beautiful humans. And that is me signing out.